of a little baby in the womb. And you could just see that shape, that little shape of a baby. It was just incredible. Earlier, a couple months ago, I received a letter from Planned Parenthood asking for support to uh, give uh, the women's right, reproductive rights. We're going to fight. And I wrote back and I said, your fight is not against the organizations <coughs> that are right to life or the judiciary. Your fight is against God. And then I went on to say, I, there's other things I said, but I said, I sent a little booklet called God's Three Revelations. And then it has a picture of a little baby just like I saw in Betsy's womb. And in my letter I said, you mean to tell me, and can you in good conscience tell me that that's just tissue? And I went on. Anyway, let's pray. Almighty eternal God, we thank thee for your great work of salvation. We sang about your wondrous works. But our Father, we know you've done a good work of salvation in us. But now we'd like to proclaim thy word as it pertains to salvation. And so we ask thee in Jesus' name to help this unworthy sinner give forth a word through the ministry of our blessed Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. In our week of Bible studies that Pastor Bob referred to, we're going through the book of Judges. And one verse describes all that transpired during that time of history in the Old Testament church, in Judges 21-25, where it says that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as he pleased. And then we talked about the four S's, sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. That sums up the book of Judges. When the land had rest, the law God, the law God gave to, uh, to them from Moses, it governed. And when the oak was cast aside, God's judgment came upon them. And throughout the long history of the Old Testament church, when the nation submitted <clears throat> to the authority of Jehovah, the covenant God made with his people at Mount Sinai, Yahweh blessed. But when the authority of his word was cast aside, then came God's judgment. In this age of grace, that same principle holds true. When the Lord Jesus, and he made it very plain at the end of his sermon, the, the principle of having God's blessing upon the church. And when the church adhered and submitted to the law, uh, gospel law, the church prospered. But when it was laid aside, you might as well write Ichabod over the church. 
Forgive me. Therefore, I thought this morning it would be good, it would be good it would be good to speak about divine authority. Divine authority that even among us, sometimes we tramp upon them. The church's greatest needs, when I spoke about the last time I was here, and I thought it would be good to come up, just to add to that, to build upon that, to talk about life under divine authority. And I'd ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah chapter 13. Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, go to Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole of the rock. So I went and hid it by Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from there, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates and had digged and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it. And behold, the girdle was marred. It was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. Therefore thou shalt speak unto them this word, Thus saith the God, the Lord God of Israel, Every bottle shall be filled with wine, and they shall say unto thee, Do we not certainly know that every bottle shall be filled with wine? Then shalt thou say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings that sit upon David's throne, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, saith the Lord. I will not pity nor spare, nor have mercy but destroy them. 
this is the main part of my script text, my message. Hear ye and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. You will note the greater part of this text has to do with the Lord using the object lesson of a girdle to instruct Jeremiah. What is the object? What is an object lesson? God will use something in the physical realm to convey of a truth what he will do and cause to happen and then to bring, to pa- bring it to pass. For example, Jeremiah 111, God uses the rod of an almond tree. The rod is a shoot or a branch that springs up and is soon to bloom, for that is the nature and characteristic of the almond. It blooms early. The Hebrew word is shaked, means awakening. In verse 12, we see the Lord says, I will hasten my word to perform it. And then verse 13, the object less of a seeding pot with its face away from the north. A pot was used in the sacrificial system for the offer, offer to partake of the sacrifice offered. And in Micah 3.3, 3, the pot is used to describe the suffering of the people under the princes there of Judah. But here, a judgment that would come upon Jerusalem from the north, which we know is Babylon, and the suffering that would follow. Then in 527, because of iniquities found in Judah, the prophet describes them as a cage of birds. What's the meaning of that? That there were nothing but houses full of deceit. Then chapter 18, 1, Jeremiah was told to go to the potter's house. He saw the potter take clay, and after making a vessel of marred, if it was marred in any way, he would, he would take that same clay and mold that or make that which he liked. And I know something about that because when I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and, and the business world, I would make trips to Felt Square Pottery from time to time, and I would see them mold a vessel like I was talking about on the pottery wheel. And if they didn't like what he made, he made it again. Look what the Lord says. Can I not do, O house of Israel, cannot I, can I not do with thee as a potter, as the clay is in the potter's hand? So are you, Israel, in my hand. And then chapter 24, 1 to 10, there were two baskets of figs set before the temple. One was bad, the one was good. And so we find that he explains to Jeremiah, the good are those who hear the word of God and go captive to Babylon. And the bad are those who resisted God's word and would come under the destruction of King Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. And then in chapter 27, 1 to 11, Jeremiah was told to take yokes, to put them upon his shoulder and go to the envoys of the nations that were represented there in Jerusalem and put it on them and tell them to go to their king and tell them that this is what they're to do to come under the subjection of King Nebuchadnezzar. But in our text, we have the first 12 verses devoted to the object lesson of the linen girdle. The linen is the same kind used to be worn <coughs> by the priests, uh, as, we read in, as we read in Ezekiel 44:17, as they do ministry in the gates of the temple. And the Bible speaks of three kinds of girdles. One was 
When Jonathan gave the girdle to David to, to indicate he'd be in subjection to him because he knew that David would be king, he gave him a girdle. A girdle was to hold the sword. Then there's a girdle of the sash that goes around the robe of a priest to, to, to hem in the folds. And then there is a girdle like in our text, like in Matthew 3, 4, where it says, uh, when he saw John the Baptist, he wore a leathern girdle, the girdle next to the skin. But why go some 400 miles to Babylon for this object lesson? Well, let's think about the Euphrates River. First, it begins up in the northern hills of Turkey and winds its way down through Babylon, in the midst of Babylon, to the Persian Gulf. And, but, but why go to the Euphrates? Because it was right aside of Babylon. And so let me uh, try to bring out a little bit clearer. Why did he have, why did he say, do not let it be touched by water? He didn't want one any substance to mar, outside substance to mar that girdle. And I believe it was so to keep, as I said, to keep it from its strength being taken away by that substance. And Jeremiah was told to put the girdle in a hole in the cleft of the rock to be free from the elements of the weather. And after many days, God told Jeremiah to go back to the Euphrates and bring back that linen girdle, even though protected by the shelter of the rock, it was all marred and profitable for nothing, as we read. Even though God was their rock, for we read in Psalm 18.2, the Lord is our rock in our fortress. He would not protect them from the king of Babylon and his military might. Now look again with me again at verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 says this. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of our... Verse 9. Then saith the Lord after this manner, will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, will even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. No, he would not protect them at all. It was to show the destruction that would come upon them by Babylon, and that's why he had to go to the Euphrates River, which goes right through Babylon. But look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. I want to comment on that because it speaks such a wonderful biblical truth. You see, Verse 11 shows in a good sense why the Lord used the object lesson of a girdle. The girdle on the loins of Jeremiah, nothing would come between his flesh and the girdle. The girdle, <coughs> uh, that is what Jehovah desired, that nothing would come between him and his covenant people. <coughs> and... And how is that going to become, how is it going to be accomplished that nothing would come between the covenant people and Jehovah? Obedience. And the older I get, the older I get, the more I understand 
why all through the scripture, and especially in John 14, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's emphasized, but we live in a day where anarchy, anarchy is so prevalent throughout society, and we have to be careful that we don't let anarchy true here in our church. God saved us. He paid the debt for our sins, suffering that awful judgment on the cross of Calvary, but he rose again to justify us. And why cannot we be obedient in every way? And that's what has exercised me about that verse of, of the 15th verse. Of the, I see in the church today, and I lived many years, 92 of them, and you know that, and I've seen a tendency to give our God lip service but not heart service, and heart service is obedience. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas was sent by the elders of Jerusalem to go and check to see if these so-called <coughs> um, convert, convertees in Antioch was real, whether they really, were they really believers. And he went and he saw that they were, and look what he said to them. With purpose of heart, cleave unto the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. What does that mean, to cleave unto the Lord? It means to adhere, to be attached, to be devoted to the Lord Jesus. Let nothing between, and as the hymn writer wrote, listen to these words. Nothing between, like worldly pleasure. Habits of life, though harmless they seem, must not my heart from Christ ever center, ever sever. He's my all. There's nothing between. And that's why we use the illustration of the girdle to drive home this truth that he wants us all to hear. Let nothing between our souls and our Savior, and the only way that can be done is through loving, not forced obedience, but loving obedience. Now let us... Focus on verse 15. This is where he says, Hear ye. And what that word means is, the Hebrew word in this text is, for here is shema. It means to come to attention, to give attention, to give reverence to the words spoken by the Lord through Jeremiah. And then in Psalm 33, 6, 9, one thing, I want you to think about the authority of his word. Uh, the authority of his word. Just think that in Psalm 33, 6 to 9, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap, and layeth them up in the depths and storehouses. And he said, Let all the earth fear before the Lord. Let all the world stand in awe to him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it held fast. Just think of the authority behind the word of God that could frame this universe. And that same authority is behind the word of scripture that he gives to us to obey. Unfortunately, because there are many voices in the world calling for our attention, too many times these voices drown out the voice of the Lord. They focus on the issues of life that appeal to the flesh, the horizontal sphere of life, and its importance from sinful man's point of view and not from divine, which is interested in the total person. God is interested in his spirit, soul, and body. 
Each one of us can measure. Each one of us can measure which voice we listen to by the amount of time we spend and either listening to the voices of the world or listening to the voice of our king. We can judge who we listen to. Many in the world, even professing Christians at the time, are like Pharaoh, king of Egypt. When told by Moses, the Lord said, let my people go, he responded with, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I can prove this phrase by a, I shared it with you before, but I'll share it with you again. In a recent survey by Barna Research, they found among professing Christians, they asked us a simple question, what is your world view? And only 5% said they had a biblical world view. And what they were saying by that, they were saying that they considered the Bible to be irrelevant, and if they said the Bible is irrelevant, then the authority of, the, of our king is irrelevant. Oh, that we might come to attention when God speaks through his written word, like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-nine, and I'll illustrate it when I was in India. It was my first trip there, uh, one of my first mission trips, my first mission trip, and one night, uh, the director, he uh, took me out at night to the uh, different villages, and he said, preach. Well, I never did any street preaching like that, but he took me into an area that was strictly Hindu, and it was dark. I couldn't see anything. And the Lord, but praise his name, he gave me Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-nine: Earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord just Oh, did he use me that night? Oh, it's so wonderful when you know the Lord is using you, when it's him, not you. I looked up to the heavens and I went from there. Oh, praise his wonderful name. Praise his wonderful name. Oh, like that little lad. At one of my trips to the Far East, there in um, the Philippines, there was a youth conference. And uh, the young people gathered, uh, young, about that tall, dear little fella, he, he stood up there to read, and they were all sitting down, and he said, Stand up! We are about to hear the word of the Lord! I never forgot that. And then, of course, I was in the rings, and uh, when you... If a Marine, if we were all in the squad bay and a Marine would see the drill instructor coming, uh, he, he would say one word, attention! Everybody stood up to attention. And when the president, say, when the president comes to address both houses of Congress, what do they do? Whether they like the president or not, because the power represented in the president, they all stand up when he comes to the podium. In 1 Chronicles 28, 1 and 2, King David uses that same word here when he addresses all those who had a position of authority in his government. It was a summons for their undivided attention. And he says, hear me. To him, David, it was very important what he was about to say. He said, God would not allow him to build the temple because he was a man of war. And he wanted all those in authority that was under him to understand why he could not build the temple. But then in Psalm 78, verse 1, listen to these words. The spirit with which God calls us to attention is seen in this verse. Listen to this. 
Give ear, O my people. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. One cannot miss the love of God in that call. Yet sadly, in many churches in our day, in them God's word that calls to attention is no longer authoritative in these churches. The culture of the day has the preeminence. May it never happen to grace and truth. Therefore, there is a warning to those who would teach and preach the authority of God's holy word. Ezekiel 33.6, the prophet warns the people of coming judgment for negligence or failure to do so. If those taken away in their iniquities, their blood will be required of the watchman or the preacher. Secondly, the Apostle Paul, he warns in 1 Corinthians 2.4 not to preach and to teach with enticing words of man's wisdom. Oh, no. But in demonstration of the spirit of power and the likes of Joel, not like the likes of Joel Osteen or those of his elk. Consider preaching and teaching a great privilege and a great responsibility. Now, I shared this before it becomes in here. Luther recognized that awesome responsibility because before he would get up to preach sometimes, that awesome responsibility was so gripping that his, he would shake and his knees would knock together. And one more word to hear in this context. A word from the New Testament spoken by our blessed Lord. He was before Pilate. And Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus said, yes, for that purpose I was born. But don't worry, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. And he said, I came to, down here to earth to bear witness to the truth. And all who are of the truth hear my voice, the same word. Here to obey. To be governed by the truth that the Lord Jesus speaks of when the soul comes to attention before God. Then and only then is the heart ready to receive what God speaks. Then and only then. When the soul comes to attention that God is speaking. Yes, it's his uh, uh, spoken word written down, but the same authoritative power behind it. Secondly, command to listen diligently. Give ear. Look what it says. Hear ye and give ear. And I call this command to listen diligently. In Proverbs 20.12, we read, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, God hath made them both. What was the most important purpose God had in mind when he created the ear for the crown of all his creative work? Mankind. He created the ear so that man made in his image and after his likeness could receive instruction from his creator and to have fellowship with his creator and to enjoy all the sounds of the creative work of God. But the instruction of one command given to our first parents, Genesis 2, 16, 17, broke that law and the first sin. And from that very beginning, we find that sin is the transgression from God's holy law, which Pastor Bob spoke about last week. You see, that 
brought, that sin brought within man what is called a sin nature. And what is so prominent about the sin nature? What's the foremost thing about the sin nature, which, which has affected all mankind? It hates to be under the authority of God. And that's why those who would dare to speak about the word of the Lord, about what the word of the Lord says, are hated so much as is in this day in which we live. That's the main characteristic of the sin nature it hates. To be under authority, I can prove it by Scripture. In, in Romans 8, 7, it says, listen to these words. The natural man is hostile to God. Why? Because he is not subject to the law of God. That's why there is that hatred. But God's love for man was greater than his sin. And that is shown in the history of redemption by raising up Israel, the seed of Abraham. God promised Israel that they would be a treasure possession if they obeyed the authority of his words. Redemptive history reveals how Israel failed. And in our text, God is dealing with, with Judah, the southern kingdom. No less than eight times, penned by the prophet Jeremiah, and beginning with 724, the word of God says the people would not hearken, neither would they incline their ear to the messages that God spoke to his prophet. That let me hear this. That showed what they thought of Jehovah's authority. And when we disobey, it shows us what we think of Jehovah's authority. When our Lord Jesus walked upon the earth, on one occasion he said to those who followed him, um, um, Luke 6, 46, he said, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? And on another occasion, the Lord expressed himself the same way, only using different words. Matthew 15, 8, 9, he says, this people, they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For doctrine, they turned aside the doctrine of God, but they substituted with the doctrines of men. Is that not true of most churches in our day? It's terrible what's happening in the churches. But may we be exercised as a people to love the word of God. If we say that we love the Lord, then we love the word. You can't separate the two. You can't say you love the Lord and then not come under his authority. The people in Jeremiah's day gave attention only to the false prophets who prophesied falsely. And we have the same thing in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. The people would only engage those who tickled their ears. You see, <clears throat> it's easy to embrace a lie if it makes you feel good and secure. You can imagine how uncomfortable and angry they became when they heard Jeremiah, who was Jehovah's spokesman, testify that judgment was coming. The same thing is true today because self is on the throne of, a heart, of many hearts. Many of the people in our day, they do not want to hear the truth if it focuses on sin and judgment. 
tomorrow, January 24th, a sister by the name of Peiva Rossanen, a government official in Finland, is going to stand trial for going public with Romans 1, 24 to 27. And when I read that, I thought, the least I can do is pray for this dear girl. And I pray for her every day. She had the courage to speak. This Romans 1, 24, 27 says, he spoke about God gave him over to uncleanness. God gave him over <coughs> to uh, 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 vile affections. You know what it says, for the women left the natural use for that which is against nature, and likewise the man they left the natural use for the one, and they went to men, men with men, to do those things which are shameful, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's in that passage, and this uh, uh, dear sister put it public, and for that she's going to court. And if you think about her, pray for her. If you can't remember the last name, just remember Pi'ave. Uh, you see, the world will only accept what comes out of the mouth of men like Joel Osteen. Why did I use his name so much? Because he told Larry King, I am popular because I don't talk about sin, damnation, hell. I talk about what makes them feel good. In Jeremiah... In Jeremiah's 40-plus years of ministry, he only had two men that had an effect upon him. And that was the Ethiopian eunuch, Ebed-Melech, and Baruch, who was his secretary. Why? I believe that Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because they would not pay attention to God's holy word and that's the reason in Psalm 119, verse 136, it says, Rivers of water run down my eyes because they keep not the law. And in Luke chapter 19, 41, Jesus wept because they would not hear him because of what was coming upon Jerusalem, the destruction by the Roman army. And he wept over that. And that's why Jeremiah was called a weeping prophet. In Jeremiah 5.21, the prophet describes the people his day. They see and they see not. They hear and they hear not. Why? Because they were spiritually deaf. Because they were like those in the church of Sardis, spiritually dead. No difference today. Great sin of the church is sexual sin. And I know that from Pastor Bob because of what the pastors he was talking about. They all said that's the great problem. And why is that so? Because the truth is preached and their hearts are hardened. That's why they won't give it up. I don't care how much comes out of their mouth about the gospel. What is real evident is whether they will submit to the authority of God's word. Sin is still sin. You see, when your heart is hardened, there is no fear of God and Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 5.22, Will you not fear me, saith the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? I who have set the sand as a bound for the sea, that the waves cannot rush over? Will you not fear me, he says? And that's missing in the church that I spoke about last, last time, the nation's greatest need. See, when there's lack of reverence for the majesty and holiness of God, 
authority of God's word is no longer paramount, no longer preeminent. To give ears to lay at the heart, and that's what God was speaking through Jeremiah. In Proverbs 23, 7, to lay God's word in the heart is to allow God's word to control one's life. So important is that instruction that in Malachi 2, 2, if the priests in that day would not lay God's word to the heart, a curse would be brought upon them. Moses, in his last words to the people in the plains of Moab before Jericho, in his farewell address to the people, he led for 40 years, said Deuteronomy 11, 18, the words that I received, the, the words that I received of the Lord, lay up in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontless between your eyes. That truly is an example of life under divine authority. And when the heart is humbled and ready to receive the light of God's holy word, there is light, as it says in Proverbs 6.23, where it says, Thy commandment is a lamp, thy law is light, to give reproof and instruction in the way of life. There's light to reveal sin. There's light to convict the sin. There's light to wound and cleanse from sin, as revealed in 1 John 1.7, where it says, Walk in the light as he is in the light, and the two have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Why should we not diligently listen to the commands of God's holy word? The world can please your ear by promoting the desires of the flesh. But what can the world do in times of crisis, in times of suffering, in times of death? Is well to remember the words of John 6, 67 to 64, when Jesus said to his disciples, many of them were leaving him, he said, will you go also? And there Peter finally said one good thing. He said, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. In John 8, 47, we have a commentary on the whole text. Listen to it. He that is of God, he's talking to Pharisees, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye Pharisees, therefore, hear them not because you're not of God. And C.H. Spurgeon, a prince of long preachers, made this observation. When we love the word of God with a spirit to hear and keep it, the beauty of holiness is upon us. Praise God, it is so. The folly of pride. Be not proud, it says. That's what it says. Be not proud. The Hebrew word for proud is nigi, meaning haughty and arrogant. And it's used only two times in the Old Testament. The other time, the prophet Isaiah in 16.6 says, The pride of Moab is very proud. In verse 10, the prophet describes what happens when the heart is not hardened by the authority of God's word because it's not laid up in the heart. Which was true of the priests, as mentioned before in the days of Malachi. And when the authority of God's word is not enthroned in the heart, self will occupy that throne. For that is where all pride, proud arrogancy, all have their origin in the heart. What caused them to be proud? Their heritage, no doubt. And to hasten on, I want to, I'm sorry, time is passing so quickly and I have so much to say, but I know we, got, we were all given orders by Pastor Bob. I don't know how much more time I have, but I have a lot to give. But uh, 
They had the temple where the visible presence of Yahweh dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Then why, as the Lord's favorite people, would they descend into the falling? Why would they turn their back on God? Why would they come no more to the Lord? Why did they make their faces harder than, than flint, harder than rock? Why would they not hearken to the Lord? Why did they revolt against God? Because they had no fear of God. Their religion is the practice there. It was all outward, just like ours is sometimes, all outward. Yes. Um, but we say, how terrible, how terrible what I just said. I want to show you some, tell you something that's more terrible than that. The church of Jesus Christ. That is more terrible. Look, just reason with me. The Old Testament church only had the law of Moses and the prophets and the promise that one day the Redeemer would come. The church in our day has the completed Bible 2,000 years of the promised Redeemer who came and died for our sins and rose again and 2,000 years of the church history for our benefit. And yet, look at the church today. We're no different. Yet, look how the church of today rebels against the authority of the King, the Lord of glory, the captain of our salvation, who we who are under the curse of the law became a curse for us to redeem us from the curse of the law. Yes, we who had no righteousness, he who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Romans 14, 25 says this, He suffered for our offenses and was risen again for our justification. The authority of the King Jesus is expressed in this gospel, and the text says, Be not proud. Be not proud, but that damnable pride continued until they were delivered into captivity. And that damnable pride is so visibly expressed in the church of our day. Many are spiritually dead as they were in the church of Sardis. The world has come to the church big time as it did in the church of Pergamos. Sin is coming to the church big time like it did in Thyatira and like the church at Laodicea, the church of our days, are becoming lukewarm. Why? Because they left their first love like they did in Ephesus. And I believe the main reason is that the church is not made clear through the gospel what it means to come to Christ as he made so very clear, which means total surrender of oneself to his lordship. And consequently, we have had many head conversions, but few heart conversions. And the evidence of a heart conversion is a love for the word of God and to be want to be under the authority of the king. And the Lord has spoken. That's the last. The Lord has spoken. Fittingly, our last point. It's a surrender to divine authority. The folly of thinking that one is not accountable to what God speaks is the course of a day where we speak so many words as the occasion presents itself. Sometimes our words, they have a bit of humor. Sometimes they're... Uh, 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 they're <coughs> forgive me. Sometimes there's the nature of just chit-chat. Sometimes they're serious. And sometimes they're instructive. But with God, it is different. God is holy, as it says in Psalm 33, 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generation. Therefore, man is accountable to the word of God. For it is the word of God that will judge us on the last day. 
John 12, 47, 48. Jesus said, yes, you can reject me. You can receive my preaching. You can reject my words. But mark it, you'll be judged by my words on the last day. I do nothing myself. Look at the example of my blessed Lord. He did, he was completely under the authority of the Father. He says, I do nothing of myself. He never acted independent of the Father. He never spoke anything but what the Father taught him. God desires fellowship with his children, but on his terms. He is our creator who gives us life and breath each day. He's our redeemer, he's our judge, and he's a God of order. And a loving father, he gives commands to submit his authority, to, for us to submit his authority for obedience to him. And his words and commands are not hard to understand. They are only difficult if we insist upon our own will. Let me repeat that. The word of the Lord is only difficult if we insist upon our own will. The God who spoke out of the fire at Mount Sinai that cursed the people to tremble, that caused the people to tremble, is the one that took upon himself humanity to pay our sin debt, who now is at the right hand of the Father in all glory with power and authority. Why should we be not only too glad to submit to his authority? What do we have if we don't have the Bible, which is spoken, the spoken word of God, uh, King, written down? Many have burned the book and the people the book, but that does not alter the king's message or his authority. The world calls people who hold to the authority of God's word fools, and those who hold to intelligentsia philosophy wise. They are they who defy or show no reverence for God are like chaff before the fire. Yes, the Bible is a book that describes many judgments which are necessary, but it is also a book that promises grace, love, mercy, hope to those who are under the authority of the king. God's word spoken by the king in Matthew 7, 24, 27 is the authority to build one's life on the sure foundation where he said, He that heareth my words and doeth them is like a man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain may come down, the winds may blow, and the floods come up, but the house of all your life will stand strong because it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. And of course, for the, those who won't do it, the opposite is true. Those who are not in subjection to the king's authority find it very easy to compromise and soften the demands of the gospel. But wise is a child who follows the example of the psalmist in 119, 59, 60. He says, I thought on my ways, and I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. And just a few words in closing. The whole message of the prophet Jeremiah can be summed up in one verse. Chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and carved out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. We are either devoted to Christ and under his authority, or we are still in rebellion. If you're here this morning and are content to just give lip service to God like those in Jeremiah's day, and have never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, for that is what it means to believe. For he said in Luke 9, 23, if you want to be my disciple, in other words, if you want to belong to me, deny yourself 
and take up your cross and follow me, which means that you put to death when the flesh comes up, when the self comes up. You see, may the metaphor of the ruined girdle, a picture of God's judgment to stain the glory of man's pride, humble you and drive you to godly sorrow, which is a picture of true repentance. For that's what 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow is a picture of true repentance that leads to salvation. And Luke 18, 13, which our brother said, God, the, the public, and God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Romans 10, 13, they who call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord will not turn away, but receive just as he did in Luke chapter 23, 43, when there he was in the middle of the two thieves, and the one, both of the thieves railed against him, and uh, then finally, the one on the right became converted. How? We don't know. But he began to show godly sorrow for sin because we deserve what we're getting. But this one has done nothing wrong. And then he said these words, Lord. Remember he said, Lord, meaning I want to be under your authority. Lord, remember me in the day when you come in your kingdom. You see that? He can look into our heart. And he can know if we have ever surrendered our life completely to him. And when we surrender our life completely to him, we belong to him and not before. To all of us, Proverbs 4.26 would be good to... It says, Ponder the path of your feet, and let all thy ways be established. And then the words of David in 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I would like, and one, one more thing. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Let's wear his yoke as he commanded. Always be under his authority and learning of him. And now I want to close this message with the five, five words of instruction. One, when tempted to sin, remember 1 John 3, 8, when it says, he that committed sin is of the devil, and for that purpose came the Lord Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. And when we sin, we're, going to, we're, we're honoring the, the Satan. But when we're obedient, we honor the Lord. Two, when there's a loss of interest in God's holy word, remember the cross. Colossians 1.18, he made peace through the blood of his cross. And Colossians 2.14, all the ordinances that were against us were nailed to his cross. And then when all seems against us, remember Romans 8.28-30 when it says that God worketh all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Trials are to make us drink from the fountain of living waters. And when overcome with sorrow, remember 2 Corinthians 4, 1, 3, that the God of all comfort is also the fountain of living waters. And when the battles of life become fiery, remember Hebrews 13, 5, the fountain of waters will never leave you nor forsake you. Let us pray. Almighty, eternal God.
quicken us a new desire to be under the authority of thy holy word. For you and your word have said that you've placed your word even above all your name. Lord, have your way in each one of our hearts. May your word not return void. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Psalm 139, we read, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unfold.